All right. If you want to, turn in the Word of God this morning to uh, John chapter 9. We'll be there. <laughs> and while you're turning to John 9, I love to hear all the, all the chatter. It means everybody's having a good time and fellowshipping and greeting each other. But while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you about something I heard this week. And I can relate because this happened to me back a little few years ago. And uh, so I could relate to this. But there's a guy that he got to the, the counter at the uh, airport. And he was trying to go to Cincinnati. And he arrived. The, the landing thing was still there, the stairwell and all of that. But they were closing the door that goes to it. And he's like, I got a business trip. I got to get there. I got to be there. And she said, I'm sorry, you can't board. Once we start to shut that door, you can't get on. And he blew up and started just cussing her out, calling her every name in the book. She just smiled and said, but I can take care of you real quickly. I'll get you there, all right? He said, okay. He was still mad and still saying a bunch of stuff. So she just smiled, she plugged him in, she goes, here you go, you go down to gate B10 and everything will be just fine. And uh, the guy that was standing behind that guy after he left, he goes, you handled that marvelously. I don't think that I could have. How in the world was you able to smile and to treat that guy the way you did? She goes, well, he was supposed to be going to Cincinnati, but I accidentally put him going to Detroit and his bags to Thailand. <laughs> so I guess it's the revenge factor there. They could smile. So be careful what you say to those folks at the counter. Anyway, greetings. Great to see all of you today. In John 9, we're going to, we've been camping out there for a couple of weeks, but not really like in the passage as much as letting it give us some wandering paths to go down. And that's kind of what we're going to do for a minute today, but then we're going to come right back to it, and we're going to finish off John 9. And I'll give you, you know how at the beginning of movies, when you go to the movie theater, they give you previews of coming attractions? Next week, Lord willing, we'll do Jonah. I want to talk a little bit about Jonah. So, uh, just a preview of where this thing's heading. But uh, we found out last week in Romans 1 and Acts 16 that every soul that has ever lived has had an opportunity to hear the Word of God. Those passages show in Romans 1 how that we are without excuse, that we have had the opportunity by what God has created. He has made Himself evident, and He puts somehow something within the DNA of His creation that we can understand who He is and begin on a path of coming to ask the question, Who is God and how do I believe in Him? And then we found in Acts 16 that it was God's responsibility to get someone to that person or them to somebody in order to hear the gospel whenever they come on those positive signals. So that's what we studied because there's a factor that runs throughout the scriptures and that is that God is not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance and to the knowledge of Him. And the regions of the world that might seem dark and remote and godless is because, he says, that they have rejected me and still today they are on negative signals. But the moment positive signals come, then the gospel gets to those folks. And now, we have in John 9... Jesus doing just that. He is revealing himself to some folks here. Jesus is coming. He's revealing unto them. But he said, I came to my own, but my own received me not. Even though he's trying to reveal himself to them. And so now they're leaving the temple area. And as they're going out, they pass by the man who was born blind. And that's where we're at. In John 9, if you want to follow along with me, the first five verses there. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a rabbi who was, or saw a man who was born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents had sinned but that the works of God should be glorified in him. If I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. So we see as Jesus begins to pass by this man, he noticed him. And he knows that he's blind from birth. And the disciples, as they follow his gaze... They see the man, and it triggers something in them. Evidently, there's been some debates going on in times before as they've walked through and seen this man, that they've heard things, they've seen things from others, and now they're trying to figure out and get the truth behind something because they've been taught a couple of different things. And they asked him, what happened here that this man was born blind? Who did sin, his parents, or was it him? It's not... Did that cause it? That was already assumed to be true. But which one caused that to happen here? Rabbi, was it himself or his parents? And that's because the Pharisees were teaching these sort of things to the people, not knowing full well the truth. Look there at verse 34 with me, and it's up there too. As the Pharisees are interrogating this blind man about how he could now see... He gave them an answer, and it stung them pretty good. And then they said this to him, You are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out of the synagogue. That was their belief. They were saying, How do you who was... We've been telling you all of your life that you was this way. How can you now come to us who are the righteous, the, the good folks? How can you come and try to teach us anything? And you see, that was the attitude that was going on there. They were wrong. They were totally wrong. And we're going to see here that Jesus is going to correct the disciples and this false teaching that's been going on. So let's expose those two questions that the disciples asked. First one. Was it this man? Could this man himself had possibly sinned sometime before his birth 
that he was born this way? Well, I want to say first of all, no, emphatically. And then I want to use some scriptures to prove that. So, to personally sin like that is to transgress the law of God. To sin means to miss the mark. So children, especially unborn children, have in the womb, there's no way that they could actually do that, is there? They don't know anything about the difference between right and wrong. Look at what the Word of God says in James chapter 4 and verse 17. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to them it becomes sin. So do you see that one of the aspects of sin here is knowing, having the mental capabilities of knowing right from wrong, good from evil, and then making a conscious decision whether to follow that or not. So that is the first aspect, and a baby does not have that ability. Look at what Jesus taught. Matthew 19, verse 14. Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then in Matthew 18, he said, Unless you are converted and become like kids. I thought we just left there, no? We're talking spiritually. Unless you become converted and become in your attitudes like little babies, and like children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So to me, you would be hard-pressed to try to teach folks as doctrine that this man was born this way because of something that he'd done before he was born. Next, another idea that was really prevalent at that time in Jerusalem and in Israel, but it was also prevalent among all of the other Eastern civilizations and nations and some of the religious views of like the Hindus and the Buddhists and Islams is reincarnation. And I kind of threw that out as a hint last week that we might be talking about that. Reincarnation. The, the term in the original language is metempsychosis. It's like from the word metamorphosis and then psychosis. So it's, it's, a, it's a new forming of your soul into another body. So this doctrine tries to teach that you have a soul that didn't die, so now you are going to float to body, to body, to plant, to animals, some of them believes. And it's based upon how you live your life today. If you live good, then you will be able to maybe be some kind of a prince in the next life, or a princess, or something, somebody famous or powerful. But if you don't live the way that you should, then you're going to go down the steps of the ladder and you're going to have some problems. And you might be born like this man into blindness or you might even be born, some of them believe, as a monkey or a cow or even a tree or a plant. And you think, really? But yes, that is the type of teaching that is prevalent throughout all of that. So, I told you last week a little bit, if you was here, about Ricky G. Ricky G was a Chinese student that I had, that we, we talked about the Word of God. He came to IU from China. Uh, 
we had posted in there that you could learn to speak English better. It was for the foreign students who come in. And we used the easy-to-read versions of Luke and John, and he got it. And as we talked and we began to explore about changing your life, who and what God is, how, how he wants you to try to walk and glorify him and become a new creation in Christ, this is where he pointed back to. China and the Eastern civilizations, they don't want you to come to a knowledge of God. So one of the things that the, that the demons of darkness has thrown out there as a doctrine is reincarnation. And this is how they keep the civilization intact, though, is offering that carrot before the horse. If you live really well, you might be a prince or a princess in the next life. If you don't, you might come back as a monkey. So it would behoove you to, to be a good citizen. And that's how they, they do it. And he said, this is what we teach and what I have known from my birth. So we had to go over these. And I said, we started looking at scriptural reference because, you know, no one's going to believe you coming from those lands that just take my word for it. So we started going through the scripture. And one of my favorites there is Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 where it says, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now I asked you, like I asked him, how many times does it say that we are going to die? Once. Not hundreds of times, not several times, but once. And the things done in this life is what will determine your eternal life and your eternal place of domain. And so we started talking about those things. And then we got to the point that once that happens and the soul dies, that there is a place prepared. There's places like with Lazarus and the rich man, where it talked about there was those like the rich man who had fared sumptuously but did not honor and glorify God, he went to a place of torments. You had Lazarus who had suffered in this life but was positive towards God, and so he went to the place of paradise. And when the rich man tried to voice that and say, would you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch it to my tongue because I am burning in this flame? It said, Father Abraham said, Son, you had good things in life. He didn't. And now things are reversed. But the thing is, is after that death that we just talked about, there is a great chasm fixed. There is now no more crossing over. So you cannot go to him and he cannot come to you. It's put like this in Second Peter chapter 2 when it deals with the angelic infiltration and how God had to put that down in Genesis 6 in the flood. And then it says that those who crossed over and left that domain, that God knows how to keep them in bonds until that day of judgment. So the Lord knows how to take the souls that were for Him and that are in Christ Jesus And have them on one side and the souls that have rejected Jesus Christ on the other side. And there's going to be a fixed separation at that point. So now, 
How about that second question? How about the parents? What about that? Now this one needs a little bit of clarification. Because they were teaching as doctrine that the actual sins of the parents could be handed upon the kids and that they are also responsible for that specific sin. And that's false. In Ezekiel chapter 18, the Lord told Ezekiel, you guys are teaching a parable here. And you've got a parable in this land that says that the fathers eat sour grapes and the kids' teeth are set on edge. In other words, they also have what you did. They're, they're being held accountable for what you did. And that is false. The Lord said, that will not be taught in my house, in my land anymore. What happens is every soul is mine, and the soul that sins, it shall die. Everyone is responsible for your own life. You are not held accountable for anybody else's things. But... There is a thing about culpability that not the specific sins are upon you, but sometimes others can do things that influence us just because that's the way of the world. And I'll give you an example, this being born in blindness. At that time, and still today in undeveloped countries, the number one reason for that was venereal disease. And if... Through promiscuity, there was venereal disease. And as that baby is born, they didn't have medicines in that time or in the third world countries that can treat that. So as they are born and they come through the birth canal, if it goes into the eyes and takes root there, they're born in blindness. And it's still one of the leading causes. So that is one way that what we do can impact others. And impact our children or others. And that's why we are told to walk in a good way. And that's why in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord told them, said, We have an awesome responsibility as parents and as grandparents. And he says there that what I want you to do is as you walk in the way. And as you sit down. And as you go. And when you rise up. And when you lay down. And when you go to eat. I want you to talk to them about me and my word. I want you to be able to share that with them in every place that you go. Let it be constantly upon your mind. Put it on the doorposts of your house and upon the gate. Put my word there. Let it be as frontlets before your eyes. And when your children ask you and your grandchildren ask you, why do we have all of this around and why do you always talk to it? Say that our Lord delivered us out of the land of Egypt by a mighty hand. And our Lord is God. And He set us apart to do this. And He gave us the law for our good. The law is not to put us down, to keep us from fun. They understood that the law was for our good. So that we live a peaceable, happy life. And when you tell them that, you say, this will prolong your days. This will find you happiness. So teach it to them. So we have that awesome responsibility. But because of things like that, they were teaching that this child must have been born by something like that. And have you ever really... I ask you, just like the disciples, they were taught this and they believed it because you've got 
the Pharisees. You've got the leaders teaching these things. Wouldn't you supposed to believe them? Have you ever had something told to you that you believed as the honest truth and then you find out a lot later that, man, I've been wrong all along. That wasn't the truth. I'm going to give you an example of that in my life came to me this week normally I don't have a lot of good stories to share or anything but this one come up and I thought well I'm going to tell you about it a little bit when I was 12 somewhere in that age my teeth were coming in crooked and the dentist he said we need to pull a bunch of them so that it'll make room so that they can grow in and then when they all get growed in we will put braces on there and straighten them up So my mama, she was one that ever since I'd been little, she wanted me to be healthy. So every morning before the bus came, it was carnation instant breakfast, vanilla. Then it was dolomite and bone meal and vitamins all of my life. And then it was milk is what you're going to drink at every meal. There was no none of this pop and none of this other stuff. So... I get there at 12 years old to that dentist, and he's got some teeth to pull. And he puts me in the chair, and I'm telling you what, that is not an exaggeration. (laughs) I get in that chair, and this is prehistoric days, you know. This is early 70s. I mean, this is back before sophistication. And he set me down in that chair, and he took these things that looked like hog pliers. And he said, I'm going to pull your teeth. And he gave a needle about like that and shot it in there. And then, yeah, it was. And that big around. And he started to get in there and put that on them back teeth. And it wouldn't come. He told my mom to get out of the room. And I know that scared her to death. He puts his foot in there on the chair. And he's in there and he's tugging. And I feel like I'm a mule getting... Pulled back and forth like this. I'm serious. I am not exaggerating. I still remember it. He kept pulling and pulling. It took almost an hour for him to pull the two back teeth. I didn't go to a dentist for a long time after that. I got some stories to tell you about whenever I met up with Randy Wells, my buddy, and he's a dentist, and... So I got a good dentist now. He's, he's mine now. But uh, I will have to say that after all of that, he was sweating. He had had this tussle of trying to pull my teeth out. And when my mom come in there, he told her, he said, Man, I want you to look at the roots on that thing. This is why it took so long to get that tooth out. She goes, Yeah, that's because I give him dolomite and bone meal and milk and vitamins. And he said, Well... By the looks of that, I'll bet you've got enough bone material in that gum for three sets of teeth. I believed him. He's a dentist. I'm 11, 12 years old, and he's looking like he's telling me the truth. I believed that I was going to have more than just one more set of teeth. So, I didn't worry about brushing all the time. You know, I got older, I started drinking Mountain Dew every day. And all of a sudden, I hit about 30, and they're like, man, you got all these cavities, you need drills. And I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, I got an extra set of teeth down here that's going to come up. I don't have to worry about all of this. You ought to have seen the look on that dentist. (laughs) He thought I was crazy. No, he told me 
I would have three sets of teeth. He's like, no, that's not <laughs> the way it really is. He, so he said, let's take some x-rays. And so they took the x-rays, and there was no new set of teeth coming down through there. And now my bubble had been bursted by someone I thought had told me the truth, the honest truth. And now I was having to get everything fixed. These disciples, those people were just like that. They had been taught something that was supposedly the truth all their lives. And it wasn't the truth. And now Jesus has to come along and pop everybody's bubble with all of these things. All the Sabbath laws pop. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, this pop. No, I am the light of the world. So you don't believe everything that you hear. You know, the word of God tells us. Tells us to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's my responsibility before you, but that's also your responsibility as a Berean from what I say and from what you do on your own study. Rightly divide. Because it's you, and it's you, your soul, and your eternity. These folks have been deceived all of this time. And Jesus said, no, that's wrong. It was neither this man nor his parents who did anything. But this man is the way that he is so that God might be glorified through him at this point. And I say, wherever we are in life whether by choice, by, by providence divinely, we are there so that from this point on, we can glorify God in the way that we move forward from this situation. Jesus goes over to the man. And he looks at him. And this man can't see him. And it says that he spits down on the ground and he takes that and molds it around and makes some clay and makes some mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And I want you to know that the pool of Siloam wasn't the closest place. It was very far away. This man is a blind man. He's going, you think he's got a GPS in those directions? He's blind. He's going to have to ask how do I get there all along the way, stumbling, running into things, asking folks or asking someone to lead him to Salome? Because I don't know exactly how to get there. It's all dark to me. But all I know is he told me I have to go. You know, sometimes our faith is tested, isn't it? Sometimes the easy way would have just been Jesus to do like he had done to several other folks and just say, Receive thy sight and be healed. But this man, he had already seen some positive things. And he wanted this man to glorify him before those Pharisees that had been teaching false doctrine. So he said, go and wash in the pool. And Jesus left. And that man had to go and wash. Something else. That man shouldn't have wanted all of that to have been put on his eyes. You know why? Where are they at? Jesus is going through the temple and trying to exit to get out of the temple. So they're inside all of that walled area where it's huge and they all gather. Guess what the flooring is? 
Most of it's stone, isn't it? And if you've been here on Wednesday nights and saw some of the things that we looked at as we went through the Holy Lands, there was stairs and walkways. So guess what was all over the place? Sandal droppings. Because hundreds and thousands of folks were coming in here to worship each day. So what was there wasn't just fertile, sterile dirt somewhere that was all clean. What's being sowed out in the courtyard? Animals. Remember how Jesus had to overturn those tables and all of that? So you got animals. You got all the farmers coming in and they're all walking. So guess what that dirt is made of? Everything that has fallen off of the sandals of these people. And he takes all of that crap literally and spits on it. Something that would, you'd think, oh, get that away from me. It's going to cause seven diseases before I even get out of here. But that's what he takes and puts on his eyes. And by faith, he says, go and wash. And go and wash that off. And you know what I'd have probably done? As soon as I didn't hear his voice no more and I thought that he's not around, I'm probably going to try to get that stuff out of my eyes as quick as possible and just come back. Because I've been blind since birth and I'm probably not going to change. I want you to notice if you look through those scriptures, there's not one promise there said, I'm going to open your eyes, is it? Nowhere does Jesus say, you do what I tell you and you will see. All it says is go and wash and he put it on there. No promise, no nothing. So I'm probably not going to... You want me to walk a mile and a half to the Pool of Siloam? I'm probably going to stop right here and get this junk off my eyes and go back to my begging so that I can make my daily dollar and I can eat tomorrow. But this man didn't do that. By faith, he followed what the Word of God said even though it was uncomfortable, even though it didn't seem right, it didn't fit his lifestyle. It's going to be hard for me to go over there. But he said, if this man said it, and I've heard buzz that he might be God himself or the Son of God, if he said it, I've got faith enough to do it because what else have I got to lose? And he does it. And he goes and he washes in that pool and he comes back and folks were saying, is this the one who was blind? And some said, yes, it's him. And others said, no, but it's one like him. You know why? Because somebody that's been born blind and didn't have eyes, have you seen? They don't have true eyes and they don't have that light that shines through them. And when you put a new creation of eyes within there, you look kind of different. You don't look the same as you did. And so some of them saying, yeah, it's him. And some saying, no, but he's like him. And they said, they come up to him there. We get down here and down in verse 10. Look at that. He comes walking back and they asked him, how were your eyes open then? If you're him, how were they open? And he said, a man called Jesus made clay. And he anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Salome and wash And I did what he said. I went and did it. And I washed and I received my sight. Pure faith. He said it. I believe it. I did it. I followed through with it. Now, that's the motivation that he had. And Jesus there says, he goes, I don't know where he is. They keep asking him, where is he now? He says, I don't know where he is. All I know is that 
they bring him now to the Pharisees. This man who was formerly blind, they bring him now, they want to show him to them, the people who's been talking about him all of this time. They want to discredit everything. Now I want you to see the three ways that as you are a child of God, and as you walk in life, there's going to be several ways that people will try to persuade you not to walk in the light. One of them is, just like this man, you get it to where you, he's not literal. He's not right. You try to go in that route. The man had been a sinner. They tried to disprove and discredit him. Next, they will go to the miracle. They start calling for him. He says, yes, I am the man who was blind and now I see. They didn't want to believe it because they've already got their mind made up that we cannot credit Jesus with anything. He is against us. You will have that in your life. They will discredit you. They will discredit anything about you. They will discredit the word of God and they will discredit the miracle of life and Jesus. They bring in the friends. The friends say, yes, this is him. You know what they do? They stand up and say, bring his parents before us. So they bring the parents, and the parents are afraid. And they said, is this your son who had been born blind, and now does he see? And they answered and said, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind, but now look, they're afraid. And it says, but how he sees, we don't know. It's going to be a lot of people that's afraid to actually verbalize Jesus and accept that because... If you look down there, it says that, verse 22, they said this because they feared the Jews. They knew the truth, but they was afraid to vocalize it because they had already said that if anyone credits Jesus, they're going to be thrown out of our synagogue. And that's what they end up doing. So they're trying to discredit the message and the messenger. And then it says that the parents say, go ask him. Why are you asking us? He's of age. Go ask him what happened. And so they go back to him. And this time they say, Give God the glory and tell us what happened. That is a Hebrew idiom for swearing in a witness. He is now on trial. It goes back to Joshua at Achan at the city of Ai. Whenever he took some of the things and hid them in his tent. And they failed the battle and Joshua starts going, something's wrong, something's happening and we're going to do an investigation until we get to the bottom of this. And when they came down that it was Achan's tent, they stood before Achan and they said, give God the glory, so tell the truth, you're on trial. And he basically told them what happened. So from then on, this was the Hebrew idiom of you're on trial. Give God the glory and tell the truth. How did you receive your sight? Because we know it couldn't have been this man because he broke our rules. He healed you on the Sabbath. It was illegal to spit on the Sabbath. It was illegal to heal on the Sabbath because of their rules, not God's. And that, So they take what they think and what they've been taught by people that they have no idea what truth really is and they take their rules and impose them now on people and say, He can't be God. He's the Son of God, but He can't be 
because he broke our rules. You see what they're doing to him? So he says this. He said, he's a sinner. You can't tell us again. He said, I have already told you. You got to love this guy as he stands trial. Man, he's full of his oats. He can see. He knows it was from God. And they say, that can't be true. And he said, tell us again. And he said, you want me to tell you again? I've already told you a couple times. You want me to tell you again? Why? Do you want to be his disciples too? <laughs> Don't you think that cut like a knife? You want to be his disciples too? Is that why you want me to tell you again about him? Oh, no. They get so mad. They said, we know that that is wrong because he's a sinner. He did this on the Sabbath. And you know what the man says? Logic. He goes, what a marvelous thing this all is. You're saying you don't know where he's from or what's going on, but yet there has never been in history a man who was born blind and able to see. And we know, and he starts throwing scriptures at him, and we know that God heareth not sinners, but yet this man is able to make a new creation out of my eyes and you don't know where he's from. How marvelous a thing is this. You religious leaders. And so they get mad and they toss him out. And you know what happens? Next verse on 35. Yeah. Look what happens when that happens. And that man stood up for Jesus and stood up for what was right in front of people who didn't. It says, when Jesus heard that they had cast him out from among them and from out of the synagogue... He went out and found him. And I want you to underline that. I came to seek and save that which was lost, didn't he? We saw in Acts 16 last week that they went to where they had to go to seek and save the lost. This man glorified God before that court. And now the Son of God goes to him. And he goes and finds him when he hears that they finally threw him out. And he says... Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You've both seen him. Get that. Now you're seeing him. Your eyes have been opened. And it is he that is talking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And as our worship team comes on up today, man, we've learned a lot of things. First off, what I've seen here is Jesus is always divinely guiding our life. No matter where we are, no matter what is happening, He is, the, is guiding our life for the moment that He can use us to glorify Him in situations. He's got us where He wants us, and then He uses us in the best way that we can to glorify Him. He still seeks and saves that which was lost, just like this man. He went out and found Him. Another thing, can't always believe what you hear. I don't have three sets of teeth. <laughs> I've had to get a couple of crowns because of that, because they had to fix what was here and not, I don't have three sets. I'm not a shark. I don't get to keep rebuilding those sets of teeth. Don't always believe what folks have told you in the past. Study. Come here and listen. Hold me accountable as well because I stand before God to teach the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me. If there's anything ever wrong and I see it, 
I will share it with you for the truth. We've learned the babies, they don't sin, do they? Of such is the kingdom of God. We saw that sometimes those things that parents and people do can affect, but not the actual accountability of the sin that itself. Jesus is still seeking those who are blind to him and in darkness. And like he created new eyes within that man, he wants to create a spirit within us, an eternal life that will live with him forever. The way that is asked of us to go may not be the easiest. It may not be the most pleasant. But it's the way that he is desiring us to go to be able to glorify him in this life. We might feel like we're being covered in a lot of stuff as we go. But he's able to take that and remove it from us and use it to glorify him. And a miracle will come in your life. And people will try to disprove things. They will try to discredit you. That can't happen to you. I've known you. Well, I'm surprised that all of the folks that's known me all of my life, they're like, man, I wouldn't have thought that. But God changes things and makes a new beginning, doesn't he? All things are new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus to glorify him. Do not, folks, allow doubt and fear and others to discredit or persuade you any differently. God loves you. He breathed into you life. He is still with you and seeking to bring you home with him when this life is over. And you tell whatever whispers in your ear anything different. You just tell that whisperer the same thing that this man said to those Pharisees. I don't know Anything about that. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. And it was the Son of God who did it for me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a glorious, marvelous piece of your word that we have shared together today in this man that you used to glorify you and how you did it. And you seek that for each one of us, Father, in our lives. To just be the one who used to be blind, but now we see. And and I believe in you, Lord. And we move on from there knowing that you are guiding us every step of the way. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we, we are so grateful that you were with us today in spirit and in truth. And your presence was here. And Father, as we go out this week... May we find and seek ways to glorify you as you have saved us. In Jesus' name, amen.